Welcome to the Bill Bennett Show, and we welcome back most of you. We try to have thoughtful conversation about the news of the day, and we address the existential threats to America. Today, we'll speak with Wade Ierly, founder and CEO of Degree Insurance. This is a fascinating idea. Uh, Wade and his company work to ensure that investments in your college education pay off with a better salary when you graduate. You're going to be fascinated by this. We want you to write us with your comments. If you're like me, you're growing more and more concerned about the future. Inflation is at its highest level in 40 years. Interest rates are skyrocketing. And market experts like Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan, not only predicted a recession, but they're using terms like economic hurricane and unprecedented. If you want to protect your future, call the precious metal dealers at American Hartford Gold. They can show you how to protect your savings and retirement accounts by diversifying your portfolio with physical gold and silver. All it takes to get started is a short phone call, and they'll have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or inside your IRA or 401k. They make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, the BBB, and thousands of satisfied clients. If you give them a call right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 855-761-3008. That's 855-761-3008. Or text Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, Bennett, to 998-899. Again, that's 855 855- 761-3008 or text Bennett to 998899. All right, let's welcome Wade Ierly to the show. He's the founder and CEO of Degree Insurance. Uh, fascinating what you're doing. And I, I'm interested. I know Claude is. I think our audience will be. We'd like to hear more about it. But tell us about yourself. Yeah, I grew up in, outside of Kansas City. I was uh, actually one of the first white kids bust in to desegregate Kansas City schools in 1986. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. As a result of a court case that put a bunch of money in the inner city and uh, my parents signed me up. And, and so uh, they sent a cab for me every day and brought me down to the uh, inner city for school. It was great. It was great for me. Uh, I went to the, you know, the, the first school to educate black men in Kansas city in the late 1800s. And it was a good experience, but, um, yeah, I remember that I was secretary of education, 86. And I remember when they did that plan, I mean, the expenditures were huge. It was something like 30,000 a student, something like that. It was uh, billions and billions of dollars of the job of attracting the kids from the suburbs to try to want to go downtown. Um, and I, uh, I, I think it didn't work as intended. And it certainly still raised questions of whether or not the uh, judiciary should be allocating budget dollars that way. But um, but I was a kid. Right. And so you I, bet. They'd, uh, they'd do an article on me in the newspaper every year. And I, I you know, made great friends and, and uh, had a good experience. So. What were you, Waldo? You were like the only white kid who was that it or? I, I, they used to sing "Wade in the Water" as I'd walk down the halls. Um, uh-huh. so Wade in the Water. Wow. There were a couple others, um, as I recall, but uh, yeah, you know, a different experience than uh, than yeah. what I would have gotten in my you know suburban neighborhood, probably. And I sure. I saw things that I and experienced things I wouldn't have others. I remember there was a walkout at one point 
And I didn't know about it, right? But something had happened in the local neighborhood and uh, a bunch of students walked out of class and I don't know, fifth grade or something. I had no idea what was going on. I just sat there and felt like an idiot. I remember that. But um, what happened after high school? So I went, uh, I didn't know you were supposed to apply to college. So I uh, we huh. moved my senior year. I graduated at semester. I was 16 years old. Uh, and so it's kind of a perfect storm of stupid. I didn't have a guidance counselor. My peers weren't applying yet. My wait, pause. Great, great phrase. Perfect pause of stupid. That's great. Um, yeah, my uh, my you know my dad went to eight semesters of open enrollment during the summers at a church college, and my mom didn't go to college, so I I didn't know. So I drove to Central Missouri State, about an hour from home, in August, and asked how to sign up for a dorm. And uh, I I got into college because a kind heart registrar took pity on me. Uh, wow. And then I, you know, I went to school for two and a half years, and then I left on a Latter-day Saint church mission to Moscow, and I lived in Russia in the late 90s under Yeltsin, and as Putin took over. Oh, wow. Interesting. And, uh, you know, became a Russian speaker, came back, <clears throat> did a, I was, so I ended up in the first graduating class after 9-11. Uh, wow, we thought, uh, thought I had to do something to try to help the country, so I applied to intelligence agencies, and uh, I ended up, yeah, I ended up working for an intelligence agency for a number of years. Uh, it was great. Good for you. Thanks for your service to our country. Appreciate it. All right. Let's talk about the uh, big enchilada here. Let's talk about degree insurance. What is this all about? I find this fascinating. So a college degree is the largest uninsured investment you'll ever make. It's the only place you'd counsel somebody you love, a niece, a son, whoever, a cousin, to borrow 10 times their net worth, make a single investment with it, and then just hope that five years from now it pays off. And we get away with that because it pays off so consistently and so well. If a, you know, if an average college degree were a stock in the stock market, it would outperform the S&P 500 by 2.4 times. And simultaneously, it would be the most consistent performer in history. So a college degree works and works really, really well, but it remains your largest uninsured investment. It's the, like I said, it's the only place you would put that much money into one thing and just hope that it works. That That's a... It, it's an asinine investment strategy. You wouldn't do that if it was Amazon stock or Bitcoin or whatever else you believed in. It just doesn't make sense. Okay. When you say successful, uh, you know, two, two and a half times S&P, you're talking about financial return. Is that right? Financial returns. And I'm going to talk okay, a lot good. about financial returns because uh, while we have this nice sort of mythos around, you know, going to college to better ourselves, the vast majority of us are going to earn more money when we graduate. Sure. It's a very practical sure. exchange of value, Right. It still works. It still works, right? Yeah, and it works, works for them. The, the average college student is going to borrow seven grand a year. They're going to take five years to graduate, and they're going to finish 35 grand in debt. They will spend 21 years paying back those loans, which everybody thinks is too long, but their average monthly payment's $181 a month. And because they went to college, they're going to earn $2.4 million. So it's a, it's a worthwhile exchange of value if you graduate. But this is the piece that doesn't get talked about enough. Four in 10 new stu- new college freshmen in America aren't going to graduate. 40%. Ever, so they, ever, ever? Uh, well, within the federal governments, you know, uh, it's, it's with first-time, full-time students within six years at that institution, right? So essentially, okay. they drop out. Maybe they'll be engaged later in the future. Who knows? Most of them know, though, right? But most, most of them the, know. But most of them know. And, right. and when you think about the student loan crisis, everybody loves to talk about a trillion seven in student debt. Um, and there's all sorts of wonky things in that data. But um, 
a trade seven is a function of the fact that we do a good job getting 5 million Americans into college every year. We do a terrible job graduating those kids. So when you realize that 40% of the kids are going to drop out at 50%, we start doing more harm than good on a per capita basis in higher ed, right? We're making more families poor than wealthy because they're they're getting debt, but not a degree. When, when you look at the trillion seven, what people don't want to talk about or don't seem to acknowledge is that the majority of people who default on their student loans borrowed less than 10 grand and did not graduate. That's who can't pay it back. Uh, and you, you can always borrowed tell less than 10 and did not graduate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can always tell the story, the outlier story of, you know, somebody who studied acting at Columbia and is a quarter million dollars in debt and they're building sets off Broadway for nine bucks an hour or whatever. But that's just not normal. The average student, you know, they went to a regional state school and, and our, our system of higher education is still the envy of the world, right? Every nation sends their young to, ed- to the United States to be educated if they can get here. Yeah, I know and that. Because it works because it's yep. and it works so consistently. And yet we can't get our kids all the way through. So what we, what we did is, is look at that and say, okay, what, why do students drop out? What's happening? Somewhere in this four or five year gauntlet of higher education, students decide that, that they can't continue. What's going on there? And there's a lot of reasons students will drop out of college. But eight out of the top 10 reasons they'll list are variations on the phrase, I couldn't afford it. And so... Much of higher ed is focused on access and affordability, and all of those things are important, rightfully so. But, and there's a big but, we know that the vast majority of those students who are saying they couldn't afford it could borrow more money. So what they're doing is they're externalizing it, saying, not my fault, in a socially acceptable way. But what's really happened is they've, they've decided it's not going to work for them. So it's not worth borrowing more money. So you're, you're halfway through your sophomore year. You're getting behind. You just did an all-nighter to write a paper. All your friends seem like they're happy. And we're social creatures as humans, right? So we compare ourselves yeah, to our people. Yeah, yeah. Seems like it's going to work for them. And you're sitting there thinking, you know, I don't know if it's going to work for me. And the devil shows up on your shoulder and says, look, you're 10 grand in debt. 20, and you're going to be a bartender when you're done. 20 grand in debt with a degree. And a bartender isn't better off. And so you drop out. And what we wanted to do was put an angel on the other shoulder. So the question we had to ask is, what would that angel say? What can give you the confidence to just persist, to stick it out? You got another two and a half years or whatever it is left. And what we realized is the outcome. And so when you graduate college, you have a better path, right? And things will go better, but it's all generic. It's intangible. It's it's better, it's positive, it's more opportunity, et cetera. What we need to do is make that tangible. If we can put a pot of gold on the other side of the finish line, it makes it easier to borrow money. If you can have confidence in the outcome. So what we've done let, is- let, let, me, let, me pause, let me pause there. Go ahead. Um, I, I, I often kind of boast, but not boast, that I have a philosophy degree. Uh, I wrote a book called Is College Worth It? with a colleague who's a classics major. Pretty useless majors in terms of income or not. If you graduate with a classics degree or a philosophy degree, or I've heard graphic arts doesn't lead to great salaries, you're still okay. You still, the investment was still, the investment still worked. It still works. Now they work at different levels, especially early on. So what, 
Uh, we, we see all kinds of things in the data. Obviously, we spent the last five years collecting all just all sorts of data sets. But sure. um, what you'll see is that there's some degrees are knowledge transfer. Some degrees are about, you know, I had I didn't have a skill and now I, now I do. Most degrees are not, right? A philosophy degree is not about that. But a, you know, a computer science degree where everyone will tell you, hey, you're going to make more money in, in CS or STEM major than non-STEM. But that computer science major couldn't code and now they can. So when I'm running a company, I can hire a brand new kid out of college with a computer science degree and I pay them market rate because I know what they can do for me. But for a philosophy major, Shakespeare major, what have you, I know they're smart. I know they can write. I know they can be creative. I know they can think, but I don't know what they can do for me like task-wise day to day. So they come in at a lower rate, but they get promoted faster than the STEM major. So 10 years into their career, those other majors will be earning the same thing as the STEM majors. Really? Yeah. But when you plot lifetime earnings, they never overcome that first 10-year gap, right? And so this is often the case. It's not a universal truth, but it's, it's quite often less dangerous to do you know, liberal arts majors than people think. Uh, interesting. Very interesting. What's important, though, today is stu- even parents who know the drill, they'll spend 18 months helping their kid apply to colleges, right? And help them try to get them into the best colleges. But then that it, the critical piece of the liberal arts education, right? They're being exposed to new things, taking classes and subjects that they never would have, you know, studied before. And they come home and they say, mom, dad, I, I read Nietzsche and I'm going to change my major to philosophy, right? And across the breakfast table, you know, mom goes, are there any jobs in that? And then they both kind of shrug and the kid changes their major. Well, the major choice is more impactful than where they went to school when it comes to what you're going to earn, much more. And so what we do is we ensure the students' earnings for the five years after they graduate. We guarantee what they're going to earn. So we put a pot of gold on the other side of that finish line and say, it's okay. You can end up a bartender when you graduate. But we, but we promised you you're going to make 41 grand a year. So if, So you're going to send us your tax returns for five years. It's objective, it's verifiable, it's third party. You know what it says when you send it to me. And if you didn't earn what I promised you, we're going to cut you a check for the shortfall. Wow. So I'll tell you how it works. So we sell it to a college. The college then can use it to recruit and retain. The college can use it to tell students, hey, if you'll come here, we can can guarantee your salary. And your coverage level changes based on your major. So we might be able to say, hey, that, that computer science major, your median exits from university X in computer science, they're going to start at 51 grand a year. And your business majors are at 44 and your English majors are at 38 and your dance majors are at 29 or whatever it is. What's important here is students now have information they don't have today. They now can understand what it means when they change their major. So you don't, and you don't have to be salary optimizing, right? They don't have to say, well, we should all be computer science majors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can look at it and say, will I be happier as a Shakespeare major making six grand a year less? perhaps, right? And they can make that decision completely informed because we've translated all of the data that's out there and that exists, college scorecard, all kind of stuff that's been put together that families and parents don't use, but academics do into something you can understand, right? This is your guarantee. This is the floor of what you're going to earn, right? And if you don't, we'll cut you a check for the difference. So the schools use it to recruit and retain. The students are able to make the claim. And the reason we can do it, it's the same reason you can do fire insurance on a home. If we didn't have fire insurance, if that didn't exist, Home ownership wouldn't exist the way it does in the United States because it'd be a crazy thing to do to put 10 times your net worth into one asset that could burn up tomorrow. Well, when you look at the Great Recession, the unemployment rate nationally goes to 10%. Black unemployment's at 17%. The unemployment rate for college graduates moves from four to five. It peaks at 5%. Wow. So we, we often talk about what, what, what a college degree does, and we think of it in terms of increasing your upside. You can earn more, right? 
you'll have better jobs, et cetera. But we rarely talk about or even acknowledge the impact it has on the floor of what you're going to earn. Okay. So when you, when you live in an economy where one year in 10 is a down year, whether that's 9-11 or a housing crisis or a pandemic or what have you, we have a relatively consistent cycle that about every decade, there's going to be a downturn for a year. If you had a roulette wheel where nine out of 10 years paid off or nine out of 10 squares paid off, yeah. good advice would be, yeah. you know, borrow Split as much it. as you can, by which we mean go to the best school, put it on red and spin. And if it doesn't work for you, if it lands on the one bad square, you graduate in the one wrong year in the middle of the pandemic or what have you, good advice would be borrow more money and spin again. And that's effectively what the wealthy do today, right? In a down economy, graduate enrollments spike. So they, they borrow more money, they spin the wheel again, they hide from the economy in a socially acceptable way for two or three years. But first-generation students, first-generation Americans, underrepresented minorities, Pell-eligible poor like I was, often don't have that chance. So what we give them is a true chance to reset. If it happens not to work for them, they're going to get a chance to reset. Five years after they graduate you're in it, and it didn't work the way you thought it would, you're going to end up able to pay off those loans or have enough money to go to grad school or what have you. But you get a chance to say it didn't work for me. you got to graduate, right? You do have to graduate. The, the whole point here is to increase graduation rates. Yeah. So if you don't graduate, you don't get a check from, from Wade Ireland, right? That's right. From degree insurance. If you're, if, <laughs> if you're shortfall, right. That's right. And graduating matters more, a lot more, enormously more, uh, overwhelmingly more than the major or just more? Uh, the, the major matters, but graduating is the most important thing versus not graduating, right? I, I mean, so, and we can prove this statistically. If college was about what you learned and you went to two years of a four-year degree, you should get 50% of the salary lift you expected, but you don't. 80% of the lift shows up the day you graduate. If you shop, stop one day short, it doesn't come. So well, what, what about two-year college? Uh, two-year college is a different story. Two-year college works, but at a different level, uh, especially if you're going to go into nursing, two-year college is a great option. Can you do uh, your insurance? Can you do Wade Ireland's insurance? In theory, we have the data that would allow us to do it. In practice, we don't today because we're a okay. new enough company. We're focused on just doing one thing well, so we do the four-year degrees. But okay. in, in theory, we could do graduate degrees. We could do two-year colleges. We could do technical schools. And so those things will come down the line. But today, okay. our whole focus is the traditional four-year degree that is the experience of most folks. But you are selling this not to parents or students or a combination, but That's to right. institutions. That's right. How come? So I think uh, a couple of reasons. One, uh, it's a group policy then. You spread out the risk. So if you sell it to okay. individuals, you get a distortion in and who buys it? Is it the people you. who are least confident or the people who are most financially literate and realize it's a crazy way to invest money, if, you know, to not have a hedge. Um, so you get some of those distortions. Uh, but really, because the, the schools need, need to improve their graduation rates. They're the ones who are in a tough spot where they, they ought to be accountable for graduation rate. And yet graduation rate is so clearly a function of individual effort and other things as well. That right. it's very hard to create a sort of accountability metric for the school. But the best schools all have the best graduation rates. So you can see there's a clear correlation. Um, you know, whatever schools you, you love and think have the best reputation, they'll all have better graduation rates than, than those that don't. And so what we and that is the behavior we need to increase. So we want to give okay. that. And, and what we don't know when you buy it is what you would graduate in. You're going to change your major three times in, in undergrad. 
but from a school standpoint, we know they're going to have, you know, 75 English majors and 125 business majors or what have you. Let's fill out a couple of blanks here. Let's go to Kansas. I don't care. Central Kansas, Kansas State, University of Kansas. Sure. Give, give me a couple of uh, students, their majors, uh, maybe three students, one who doesn't make it. We know what happens to him. Uh, he doesn't get anything. But let, let's talk about two students with two very different majors, both going to, you tell me, University of Kansas. Central so Kansas. I, I, I'll know off the top of my head. I met with a college in Oklahoma City this last week called Oklahoma. Okay. And so at Oklahoma Christian, their business majors, we would guarantee $47,000 a year for five okay. years. Okay. So we're going to guarantee two hundred and thirty-five grand over five years in earnings. But you have to have your degree by in how many years? But you, you have to graduate from Oklahoma Christian in six years. Right. So the federal, you know, measurement standard um, and in business to get the 47. Okay. Now, if you graduated in education, it's probably like 35. Right. And and so you you now as a student, you can make a decision if you want to change your major or not. But you but you know what you're going to get. And this is the it's a little bit understated in society, but predictability, constancy, Mm -hmm. certainty has Mm -hmm. incredible value. If you know what you're going to earn. You can buy a home. You can form a family. You can yeah, you, know, yeah. you can commit to things middle and long term. The All these unknown, things a lot of students can't do today, right? Yes, and the unknown is terrifying. So you, like every state's got a teacher shortage right now. So if you study teaching, you're going to get a job probably. But there's a difference between yeah, you'll get a job and it's guaranteed. And the word guarantee has power the way that free has power, right? If you think if you look at downloads of apps, if an app is free or an app costs a penny. Functionally, that's a near zero difference, but the number of downloads is wildly different because free itself carries power. Well, if we can take the uncertainty students have when they're going through college, when they're in a weak moment, when things seem hard and give them certainty, a guarantee on the other side of the finish line, we can change behavior. And I'm not suggesting we'll save a hundred kids out of a hundred who would drop out, but saving five, saving 10, saving 14 matters. Okay. 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 But you're also incentivizing accountability here, incentivizing the institution, not just to let them in, but to take pains to get them to graduate. That's right. That is the, the, the single greatest challenge in higher ed today. And it's not the one everyone's focused on. I went and addressed the uh, House Education Committee a couple of weeks ago, and everyone wants to talk about the cost of college. But the cost of college, what it has inflated more than healthcare or anything else in the, in the country since 1980, right? Like it's, it's runaway costs. And yet it's still a good exchange of value. It yeah. still works. Yeah. What yeah. we need to be certain of is that you're getting what you pay for. If we drop the cost of college to zero and colleges can't afford to give you a good education, it could lose its value. Value isn't only a cost function. It's cost. It's the other side of the equal sign. Did you get what you paid for? And that's what we can guarantee. And when you can take away that uncertainty, it makes it safe for students to borrow the remainder to go. We know all kinds of interesting things from the data. I, I used an example earlier about, a, uh, about you know, I'm going to end up a bartender when I graduate. Guess what? No one's telling them. A bartender with a college degree makes more money and is employed more consistently than one without. It still works. 80% of people don't work in the career field they studied. It's an absolute... Say, say that again. Say that again. 80% of people don't work in the career field they study. It's an okay. absolute myth that your major is going to determine the course of your professional life. It might. And in some career fields, it's critical, right? You can't be a yeah. doctor if you don't study medicine. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you can be an education major and go be a mortgage lender, right? And you can be a finance major and become an administrative assistant. It, it's not nearly as determinant as we want it to be, with the caveat that graduating in something opens up all sorts of opportunities. Claude, jump in. Yeah. So the, the pitch to students, uh, to, to universities and, and colleges, wait, uh, do they see, do they see the benefit? Do they see the value? Is there any negative pushback from universities when you're pitching this? Colleges love it. I mean, in the end, we make them more financially solvent. We actually increase their revenues because their costs to acquire students come down. The lifetime value of that student goes up because when a student drops out after four semesters, they left, you know, six semesters of revenue still on the table that that student would have paid. So we, we actually improve their bottom line while making them better at their mission. So school is ah, like, ah, ah, cause they, yeah, they stay and they pay more, right? Exactly. There, we already, I, I was, I joked during the pandemic is we spent $6 billion twice supporting higher ed. We already have a perfect solution to support higher education to all, every institution. It's the student loan program. If your customers come, if students show up, your school will be solvent, right? And all of your customers have access to all the capital they need to go there. So the question is, why don't your customers come? If you think of it like a business, why are you running out of students? And the answer is they don't have the confidence that it's going to work. They're wrong. It works. But this, there's a public narrative that's developing that like, oh, I, you don't need college. You don't have to. And if you're thinking about college as only an upside play, as only like the most money you could earn, they look at it and they go, well, Bill Gates didn't need to graduate college. So C, I shouldn't need to go. And they're right if you're Bill Gates. But what they don't talk about is the downside. So I, I started to say earlier, one year in 10 is a down year. Well, if you have a college degree, then in that down year, your earnings might be flat, but you didn't get laid off at the same rate. Okay. If you don't, every 10 years, you get hammered and you get slammed back down. You have to borrow money to live. You lose your job, et cetera. And you spend the next 10 years digging your way out. And then it happens again. And it happens again. And so over the course of your life, you can't ever really get ahead. If you have a degree, you get to move to a place where you're constantly compounding on what you earned before. And so it's it. the, nothing has moved people to the middle class more permanently than a college degree. And it still works that way. So when we're talking, you know, price for this, is this an, is this an add-on to tuition? Is it optional at schools that, that adopt it or... How, how, how does a school offer this to a student and a student, you know, pays for or gets it? Yeah. So we have uh, our first four schools are using it. They all happen to be in Illinois. We're hopeful that a school in Oklahoma and a school in Mississippi will, will sign with us soon. But um, so we have the first four schools using it. In none of those schools is it a pass through cost in any way to the student. Because, again, it makes the school more money because it, we, we recoup so much more revenue for the school than it costs. So the, the average cost of the product is like, 2,500 bucks, one time. So it's not an ongoing payment or anything. So it's the equivalent of a $250 a semester scholarship for them to offer it to the students, right? Uh, so it's, it's just not very expensive. And when, when an extra student stays who would, who would have dropped out, that's an extra, you know, it's a different every school, but say an extra 10 grand in each, each year or each semester. Well, that's very clearly makes it easy to overcome the cost. So there, there, it doesn't become okay. a new cost for, them to, for most schools to pass through. Uh, when you're doing the pricing, let me see if I get this right. The graduating ma matters more than the major. So, but the, ma but the major matters some. And does the prestige or reputation of the school matter? Let's say you're talking about, I don't know, you know, Salem State College in Massachusetts. Let's assume it's four years versus MIT. Sure. So um, geography matters a lot. We know that a, a high school graduate in Stamford, Connecticut will out-earn a college graduate in Jackson, Mississippi, on average. 
Um, so geography matters a ton. What you study matters a ton. And where you go does matter. The, the, the things that really matter are where you go, what you study, and did you graduate? Um, if you did not graduate, no school delivers value. But assuming you graduate, then what mattered, right? And where you went to school and what you studied are the two things. So when we price it, we price it by school, by major. So we'll give a school a single premium. Say, uh, I, I'm sitting in Utah right now. So the University of Utah that doesn't buy our product today, they would be, it would be 2,500 bucks a student one time. And for that, we're able to give different sets of coverages. We're able to say, all right, for the 2,500 per student, we don't know what they're going to graduate in. But if they graduate in engineering, we can guarantee 51 grand a year. And if they graduate in business, we can guarantee 44. And if they graduate in English, it's 37 or whatever their median exit salaries are today. So for each school, what they're able to price at is how they're performing today. So if that school can improve the outcomes, if they build a pipeline to jobs, that they're doing the workforce work that colleges should be doing in college towns and pairing up with a manufacturer in town to create a pipeline for jobs that, with XYZ major. Well, then those students do well, the median goes up, and the school's able to guarantee higher salaries. Who writes the check to you? The school. The school. The school. Okay. Or the state. We have, we have uh, one or two proposals out at a statewide where, where for, for $14 million, I could guarantee the salaries of every new student in the state of Idaho. And for $50 million, I could do every new student in the state of Oklahoma or Kansas. Amazing. And, Amazing. And at a federal level, for $100 million, which again... Seems like a lot of money to you and me, but we spent $6 billion twice in the last 20 months bailing out higher ed. For $100 yeah. million, dollars, we could guarantee the salaries of every new student in America who enroll, enrolls at an HBCU. HBCUs have a, and I know you know this, they have a distinct role to play, not just historically, but today. Harvard does a great job of keeping rich kids rich. What, what HBCUs do is they take people from specific backgrounds and move them permanently into the middle class. 50% of all black lawyers and doctors in the United States went to an HBCU. HBCUs historically black colleges and universities. Yeah, Go ahead. Right. Yeah. Historically black colleges. 80% of black judges. So in, in a world where social justice is becoming more and more important to folks, the only way to effectuate long-term change, right? If, if this is, is if this is valuable to you is to put people from those communities onto the bench that can balance justice and mercy, right? Well, wow. HBCUs wow. are, wow. I, I say wow. only, right? It's 80%, but like this is, they do a job other schools don't. And yet of the 101 schools, like 95 or 96 of them are financially insolvent today, mm. right? And their graduation Goodness. rates are, are, are abysmal. They're in the twenties and thirties because they're coming from a community where maybe their parents didn't go to school or, or maybe they're first gen, you know, the first gen students or single parent home, like different backgrounds that are making it harder. The, the proportional risk they're taking to attend college is higher. So the dropout yeah. rate is higher. Well, when we can say, hey, it's guaranteed on the other side. You come from a background where your family household income is 35 grand a year, and I can guarantee you 40 if you'll graduate from business at Morehouse or, you know, or what have you. Um, that is a real game changer for schools where we're spending an awful lot of money and, and a place where as a, you know, a very conservative economist, I think a market intervention might well be appropriate. Yeah. Do a job that yeah. other colleges don't. And with the passion and the knowledge about what you're speaking with this, there's got to be something that touched you to want to do this. Like, what was it? Huh. That, what, where, where was the passion point? Like, what, what hit you to want to do this? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you a quick story in two, three minutes. So I, I told you, I, I grew, grew up, I went to Lincoln College Preparatory Academy, which, you know, Li Lincoln is a, uh, an HBCU, um, Lincoln Prep in, uh, in Kansas City. Um, I then went on, I had a career, I, I spent some time on Dick Cheney's staff, I worked for an intelligence agency, and then my little brother was a pilot and needed a job. And I had a baby two weeks after I came back from Iraq, 
and it was time to make a transition. So I got into Stanford for business school and I was moving out to California when my little brother called me and said, he finished Embry-Riddle and he's going to be a pilot. He said, there's no jobs for pilots. What do I do? And I said, I don't know. I, like, I've had career ADD. You've always wanted to be a pilot. What's it going to take to keep you in the air? And he said, I don't know, buy a plane, start an airline. Which again, for two kids who grew up on and off of government programs, it's not like call Uncle Tim and see if we can get a plane, right? So, but we ended up starting an airline and uh, that airline just announced it's going to go public for a billion four about three months ago. Um, we invented subscription flying. So I had this good experience, this business. And I spent a long time in my career now in aviation. And I was working at Wheels Up, which is another private airline based in Manhattan and sitting on the board of a charter school in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And uh, we took kids, you know, we took all these Teach for America teachers, took them into a 97% minority school in the inner city, giving these kids an option where their public schools were struggling and give them a chance to like find another path. And I tell people all the time, opportunity is not evenly distributed, but talent is. So I wanted to tell the story about how we're changing lives through education in this effort. And I learned that 80 to 90% of our graduates were likely to drop out in the first two years. And it terrified me. I went from proud of what we were doing to, to not so proud when I realized that mostly the impact we were having was qualifying impoverished families for debt. I didn't feel like the win. Yeah. That good that I yeah. thought I was doing, right? Yeah, sure. And so that's when I started digging in and saying, you know, well, learning 40% of everybody was going to drop out. And, and this is a particular community that because I had a goofy background educationally was kind of near and dear to my heart. And I just, uh, I, I kept taking the train in and out of work in Manhattan. And one day I just came home at 1030 in the morning. And, you know, my wife said, what are you doing here? And I said, I, I kind of resigned today. She said, kind of resigned. Oh. I'm like, well, oh. I got all the way resigned, but there's a real oh. problem I can go fix and we need to go address it. So, wow. That's an amazing story. All right. All right. We need to, we need to leave it there. Um, I know we're going to have uh, audience reaction uh, mm-hmm. and questions, which we'll pass on to you. This is a fascinating idea. And let me say too, Wade, this is a fascinating life story of yours. Very impressive. Really, very, very impressive. I'm glad Claude asked you that last question. Uh, you feeling bullish about the company and the opportunities? I have never been more professionally bullish. And I'm a blindly optimistic guy. Um, okay. we get to do incredible good and make money and help people by spreading the risk across the group. We had last year, we had our first college sign up this year. We've got four. We're hopeful. We have about 25 that we're in conversation with. We're hopeful we can get a couple more here shortly. Um, there's an incredible opportunity to good here, but our biggest challenge is getting into schools is getting their attention. Yeah, of course. Of we're course. doing so much of what we've always done. And the pieces, again, people in higher ed know this, but there's a, 0.5% downward slope in the number of college age, college prepared kids in the United States. We don't have kids at replacement rate. So especially among the wealthy who disproportionately send kids to college, right? And so, so the market is contracting. Well, in 2026, there's a 12% cliff where it's an 18-year lag on the Great Recession, but kids weren't born in the Great Recession, right? And whether that's your first kid or your third, we delay childbearing far enough now as a nation that we didn't get a boom lit afterwards like we've had in the right. past. Right. So you're, you're going to see a 12% drop in the total number of college kids in the United States. Well, colleges, if they, if they bury their heads in the sand and they do nothing different than they've always done, they say, see, we're, we're plugging along and things are always fine. They're going to find themselves having to shut down. You're going to see a raft of schools shut down. Yeah, sure. Okay. Come in now and make them more, you know, more competitive, give them that edge, give them that opportunity. We're going to save a bunch of schools. I'm, I'm really, wow. Wow. really wow. excited about that potential as well. You make a great case. One, one last question. I, I, I probably have a dozen more, but uh, can a college say to you, all right, well, we're interested. 
but we only want to deal with the students here because we think our business majors great. We're business majors. We're the only ones we want to insure. Yeah, we absolutely can. In okay. fact, we've got a college in Illinois that's doing music and architecture majors. Wow. It's kind of a famous, well-known music school. And, you know, music grads don't, don't make a ton of money. But if yeah. you know, but if it was guaranteed, maybe it's easier to be a music student, right? If you knew that it was coming, then maybe you'd still make that choice. And architecture, where they have a great program, but aren't, weren't as well-known for it, right? And so, so they, they picked those two majors. Um, Wonderful. So, so, yeah, we could do that. We could also, we, we talked with a school that hasn't yet bought it, but they have a mission to educate, um, you know, they're, they're in the Dakotas, to educate, like, indigenous folks. And they have a very hard time getting them to enroll in and keeping them that they, they're, you know, they're, it's harder to get the folks off the reservation to enroll. And then they drop out at much higher rates. Well, they could offer it just for their indigenous students, just like a scholarship. Think about it that way. Any way you could carve up a scholarship, you could carve this up. It's exactly. better, I think, to do exactly. everyone. I'm a little slow with the calculator sometimes. I just want to make sure. So we, so you, so, so someone goes to school, they got the insurance. Okay. Yeah, in five years, we can, you know, $50,000. Whatever you, you make under that, you know, you'll get a check from the insurance. Is it for that five-year period or and yeah. any period beyond it or just that five-year period? We, we cover the whole five-year period, okay. right? Okay. So it's cumulative coverage. So if I say you're going to make 40 grand a year, I'm really saying you're going to make 200 grand across five years, right? Because okay. that's, that's long enough that you, that you get a real chance to reset. If I covered you for one year, you're like, who cares, right? I mean, it's, it's not significant. It's long enough that it matters, but it's short enough that it's still, you know, you graduate at 21, 22, you're now 25, 26. You've had a real chance to reset and you still have plenty of time on the clock, if you will. Wade uh, Ierly is the founder and CEO of Degree Insurance. Fascinating story. Um, and uh, I think you may have a very bright future. You're very good at what you do. Thank you, Wade. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real privilege. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. Okay, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 